Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise. To contact us, call us at 208-331-4096. That number again is 208-331-4096. Now here's Joel Van Hoogen. Hebrews 12.1 calls us Christians to run a race to glorify our God, but to run that race, we're told we must cast off every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us. We're looking at what we're to chuck from our lives in two ways. The weights are those things external to us, just things that can weigh us down in the race. Anything that holds us back from an all-out run to Jesus is a weight we must rid ourselves of, no matter how innocent it may seem. Today, we look at the sin we're to chuck from our lives. These are things internal to us that keep us from pushing our bodies forward to live all out for Jesus. It may be, it's been suggested, that the sin here is the sin of unbelief. And that would kind of fit the context well because the author is writing to Jews who are at this point in time allowing their Jewish faith and the past rituals that belong to their Jewish faith become more dear to them and more important to them than moving away from them to follow Jesus Christ. And so those things that had once been good that God had even used to lead them to Christ have now become things, weights, that are keeping them from running on to Jesus Christ. And not only that, because of this, and because they're fixated on those things, they're turning away from their belief and faith in the supremacy and the great excellency of Jesus Christ above all things. And that's a sin that's ensnaring them and entrapping them. And so... That could be what the author is getting at here. And I think actually that is an accurate understanding of what he's intimating. The easily entangling sin is the sin of unbelief. But I think we should also see that he's addressing each person as a potential racer. And as such, their weights are weights, the things that encumber us, are going to be unique to our own experience in our lives. There will be a similarity, but they'll be unique to you. The weights that hold you back. The things that are calling for attention long past what they deserve or what they demand. That are keeping you from putting your focus on Christ. And I think in the same way that their weights are unique, so can be the sins. The easily ensnaring or entangling sin in your life might not be the easily or ensnaring entangling sin in my life. And that's the idea that's communicated in the King James when it says the besetting sin. That's that sin that just seems to come upon you quite frequently. Romans chapter 14 verse 23 actually speaks about this by saying that whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now, the author doesn't tell us what the whatever is. He's just saying that whatever the conduct is, the pattern is in your life that doesn't proceed out of faith from Christ, isn't producing your life because you believe in Him, and isn't producing in you a deeper belief in Him and pursuit of Him, is sin. Anything is. There's where all of a sudden weights become sins. All kinds of things can be sin. 
the advice that I find myself giving to people over and over and again when they come into my office and they're wrestling with something and their conscience, you see, is somehow conflicted or maybe it isn't at all, but they're justifying patterns of behavior that are not helpful for them. It's this, listen, you've got to evaluate that thing and see whether it's good or right. But I can tell you this, whatever doesn't proceed from your life, whatever pattern of behavior or activity you've brought in your life that doesn't proceed out of your faith in Christ and doesn't press you or push you towards deeper faith in Jesus Christ is sin. By the way, I find that it is not uncommon for us to put our attention on avoiding sins that we don't have a problem avoiding. Very often, we put our focus and our attention and we speak about and we come against those easily entangling sins, you might say, that we are not easily entangled with. They hardly entangle us at all. In fact, we can become quite vocal about the virtue of avoiding those kinds of sins that we find in our life. We let everybody know about the importance of putting off certain behaviors that we put off already, and usually we put it off without any real effort. I was thinking of a number of examples of this, but I decided that I wouldn't mention them because I, I don't want to be too personal. I don't want anybody to think I'm picking on them, right? But it's, it's like the guy who's just... Uh, naturally instinctive miser who speaks about the wastefulness of people. People are so wasteful and not careful with their money, and yet that person's so fearful he couldn't pull a penny out of his pocket. But that's the sin he rails against. It's the person who's mousy and quiet and recedes in the background and has no instinct to be transparent whatsoever, and they rail against people who are too talkative and gossipy, and, well, that's not their problem, obviously. It's the person who has a poor body image and has ever since they were a child and walks around with a muumuu on all the time and yet makes their big theme being modest. And I'm just saying, sometimes the things you rail against are the things that you easily can avoid. But what is being written and spoken of here are the little easy sins that sometimes you hardly take notice of because they're so common in your life. They have so a hold of you that they're actually oftentimes, to your way of thinking, just a part of your personality. These are just the ways you live. This is just kind of how you are. And, and when the Spirit of God gets a little too close, you can say, well, look, it's not that big a deal. It's, you don't understand. I was born in an Italian family. This is just the way we are. You know? I'm just frugal, and I've always been frugal, and that's all that I am. And you're actually a skinflint think you're frugal or whatever it is no the easily entangling sin is the thing that is so easy that it's small i think i think the truth is every sin is entangling but the one that easily entangles you is the one that's small and innocuous and common to you and easily comes upon you what do you find easy to do that you're half convinced isn't really that bad. I mean, you do it so often, it can't be that bad. And look, you're progressing along after all, and you're doing quite well. And Start there. Start there when you start to think about setting off and putting off the easily entangling sin. Start not with the thing that was easy for you to put off, but the thing that you found hard to put off to the point where you've just kind of given up and accepted that that's just a part of your nature. Start there. Think about that thing. I know what it is for myself. Actually, it's not just one. I know a few of them. 
I know that they come upon me regularly. I know, by the way, that my spirit has to command my body because these things keep coming upon me. Here's a good recommendation. When you go to bed at night, it's a good idea. You, you wash your kids' feet when they were little before they went to bed. You didn't want them to go to bed with dirty feet. Well, as a Christian, you don't want to go to bed with dirty feet either. Make sure you wash your feet. Make the last part of your day be to come before the Lord and go through the day and ask forgiveness for the things that you've done. I think sometimes the besetting sin, the easily besetting sin, is the thing that you can't remember at the end of the day. It's a thing that doesn't come to your mind unless you think about it a little bit more carefully. Unless you allow yourself to come under the scrutiny of God's word. It's the thing that jumps out at you when you're reading a passage in the scripture and all of a sudden there's just one phrase or one word that leaps out at you and you realize, oh, 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 that's been in my life. You know, I've been reading about the disciples. I've read now over the last two weeks two examples where the Lord Jesus multiplied the loaves and fishes and on both occasions it tells us that the disciples did not understand or they did not appreciate the miracle of the Lord Jesus multiplying the loaves and fishes on two different occasions. You know, what jumped out of me was that the way that the Lord fulfilled that miracle, as wonderful as it was, was so unspectacular, you might say. He just blessed it, and they began to distribute it, and almost without being able to recognize it, the food just kept multiplying itself to when it was done. They hardly had recorded that it had taken place. They hardly had considered it. Not once, but twice. So they didn't appreciate it or understand it. The thought came to me, oh God, this must be a consistent sin in my life. That you're working gracious miracles around me on a regular basis. And you're doing it in such a wonderful and gracious and condescending way that I don't even pay attention to it. I don't appreciate it. I don't put it into my calculations in terms of how I consider and face the next thing or the next challenge. And that's exactly what the disciples you find weren't doing. I can't even receive the next lesson you want to teach me because you're trying to teach me based upon a lesson that you just showed me and I've already forgotten that lesson. Whatever it is, whatever it is, you think about the thing that's easy to come upon you. The thing that is innocuous and yet entangles itself around you. If you want to run the race... You know what you're going to discover is just a fine little bit of thread wrapped around your ankles is going to be a distraction. Just a few pounds that you put on is going to be a problem. And this passage is not saying throw anvils out of your pocket. That's kind of obvious, right? You know, the things that are really heavy, get rid of those things. That's obvious. But now it's talking about those easy little things, those subtle little things that trip you up. Well, that's mortification. It's putting to death the patterns of your body has gotten into, the ways of thinking that your mind has gotten into, the way that you've been conditioned to react to circumstances that are defeating and destroying you and bringing you into compromise. And it's saying you've got to put that stuff off because you've got a race to run. Now the next thing is just this vivification, this bringing to life. And it just says run. Run the race. Well, here's another question. How do you run that race? And I'm going to just give you a few obvious things that you can look from this passage that will kind of give you direction on what you're to vivify. That is what you are to, in this new man that you are, what you're to call up from within yourself that God has placed within you to do. And I want you to just look at some simple things that you must stir up within yourself as you get on the mark and you get ready to run this race. And the first thing is really very obvious, and it's this. You can't run a race that you haven't entered. You can't run a race you haven't entered. It's 
No use trying to live the life of a born-again person if you've not been born again. If you haven't been awakened to the deep cosmic need to be rescued from your wretchedness, and you've not repented of your profound rebellion against God, and you've not believed in the deep, overwhelming answer that God gives you in the sacrifice of His Son for your sins, and you've not experienced in that moment the turning of God, turning away from your old life to a new life, and the impulse of new life that floods through you, and in the midst of trial and testing, you've not experienced yourself crying out to Him and finding His deliverance. Start there. Born again first. Get in the race. I mean, there are a lot of individuals who are trying to live the Christian life and run the race, and they keep failing, and the reason is they haven't even stepped to the starting line. They're running in the wrong direction, and they're running for the wrong reasons. Here's another thing that's quite obvious. You don't run for the sake of running. You run in a race for the sake of winning. Your competition, by the way, is not with other Christians, though. You're not trying to outperform myself or anyone else around you. Wives, your job is not to run faster than your husbands. Husbands, your job is not to run faster and beat your wife. There's no reward for that, right? There's no reward for saying that, I know this. When I was a young boy, I realized fairly soon that I was pretty small for my age. I was one of the youngest kids in my class that I wasn't going to excel I wasn't going to excel in sports. Or in academics, for that matter. So I decided I would excel at spirituality. I'd be a better Christian than everyone else. And you know what? It ran me off a cliff of self-righteousness. Only God's grace saved me from being dashed on the rocks of legalism at the bottom of that race. Join us next week to see who it is and what it is we're really racing against. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho, To learn more about this program or listen in to the rest of this message, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.